people talk about risk, but then it's really like compared to what, right? I mean, it's far less risky to be innovative and transformative and going towards this PBR direction rather than stay with sort of the unsustainable bankrupt status quo. For nearly 100 years, the key to making money as an electric company has been to spend money and build things. With a government-granted monopoly and no competitive pressures, utilities have underinvested in everything from conservation to rooftop solar and put too much money into big power plants. That's starting to change. In an order filed in December 2020, Hawaii's Public Utility Commission ruled that its monopoly utility is on a new profit plan, performance-based regulation. Joining me in February 2021, Isaac Morawaki, Earth Justice Managing Attorney for the Mid-Pacific, explains how the Hawaiian Electric Company will make money for things its customers want from now on, paid for its performance on reliability, affordability, and clean energy. I'm John Farrell, Director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is Local Energy Rules, a bi-weekly podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Isaac, great to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So I just I have to start off because I did a little bit of Googling. I like to get a little background on our guests. And I don't know that I would be doing it justice to call it a side hustle, but you have this band, Jive Nene. I'm now a fan of your song, Blue Planet Blues. We'll have a link to some of your music in the program notes. But I was curious, how long have you played bass? And sadly, when are we going to have a chance to hear your next live gig? Sure. Well, I've been playing bass since college, really, when I started dabbling in it. This Jive Nene band, which was a kind of labor of love, an R&B band, we've been doing for 10 plus years. And the members include a whole bunch of movers and shakers in Hawaii's clean energy scene. That song, Blue Planet Blues, you mentioned, was actually written by a guitarist who was the former head of the Hawaii State Energy Office, now over at the University of Hawaii at their Clean Energy Institute. So, yeah, unfortunately, like you said, COVID's put a, a little bit of a hiatus on that side gig, but we hope to get it back going uh, if live music, you know, rebounds sooner than later, hopefully. Well, I just think it was great. I've been trying to learn guitar during COVID. This was one of my commitments, and I am up to strumming my way through some very basic songs, but enjoying it a great deal. Nowhere near band quality, but, you know, I have something to aspire to now. I'll have to be checking out my clean energy allies here in the state of Minnesota to see who else I can wrestle up for a band. Well, we'll look forward for you, uh, you know, guesting as a lead soloist in one of our uh, gigs. Sounds great. Well, now that we've established your bona fides in the music industry, let's talk about electric utilities. So in Hawaii, when the state's Public Utilities Commission recently adopted either performance incentive mechanisms or performance-based regulation, I'm going to let you sort out the meaning of some of these terms, but they did this for the investor-owned utility company, Hawaiian Electric Company. The news outlet Hawaii Tech described this 250-plus page decision as, quote, a landmark ruling for the entire nation, putting Hawaii at the leading edge for realigning the electric utility business with a 100% clean energy future. So quite a bold statement. I guess I'm hoping you can start out by explaining what needed to change. What was wrong with the way that Hawaiian Electric was doing business before and so many investor-owned utilities are still doing business across the country? So a little bit of context and history for Hawaii. We're about 10, 12 years in now to our bona fide clean energy push. It started around 2008 when the utility committed to an RPS of 40% at the time. And at that time, the utility was driving the agenda. It had a lot of ideas about huge wind plants on neighbor islands and undersea cables and whatnot. 
and, and somewhere along the way, about a couple of years after that, the whole rooftop solar thing took off in Hawaii and just dominated and, and took pretty much everyone by surprise, but give us, gave us a real huge turbocharged jumpstart as far as you know, the clean energy revolution. And kind of inspired by that momentum, Hawaii then passed 100% RPS, Renewable Portfolio Standard. And it really set the agenda for the rest of the nation where other states and cities are, are now jumping on the 100% clean energy wave. But I would say about halfway through this first decade or first chapter of the Hawaii clean energy movement, we quickly found that we weren't going as far and as fast as we should have been. And mind you, in Hawaii, we've already crossed over a long time ago into that new paradigm where renewable energy is cheaper than imported fossil fuels. In Hawaii, we had, I say had, because I think California's passed this at this point, but we had the highest electricity rates in the nation, largely because we, everything's generated from imported oil. And so that fueled the rooftop solar boom as well. And, and then there was a realization, wait, why aren't we going faster, you know, even faster, given that we're, we can save money doing it? And we realized quickly it was because of the utilities incentives. And, and a quote, you know, that famous quote from the Clinton campaign, it's the incentives, stupid, right? So that, I think, led into a more sort of focused push, really led by our Public Utilities Commission. But it, it was uh, very quickly, I think, a broad-based movement to reform those incentives. And we can talk about those incentives, but I think, folks, uh, generally familiar with the clean energy scene, understand that the traditional utility, the, the model of which goes back 100 plus years at this point, is, is basically based on this cost plus or cost of service model of making money, where the more capital they invest in building and owning stuff, the more profit they make. Now, now that paradigm worked for, let's call it the industrial age, where we needed to build the modern grid and, and one of the wonders of the world that we see today, but it's ill-suited going forward for the new clean energy informational digital age, I would say, of the 21st century, where the, the, the utilities are continually on this tr treadmill of building more and more stuff. And yet, again, in, in the climate era, in the clean energy era, it's more about downsizing our footprint and building more efficiently and smartly rather than just more for its own sake. And so that, that's the fundamental incentive that we need to turn around, and that's the heart of performance-based regulation. So as you just said, the, the basic idea behind this change is that instead of paying the monopoly company based on how much of our money it's spending, that we should pay them for what services we want to receive, like energy efficiency and clean energy. Before we dive into kind of what's been changing with the regulation, I guess one of the things I'm curious about, and, and there's been a lot of really interesting debate over the past decade, you had this merger conversation with Nextera that took up a lot of oxygen. But I guess one of the questions would be, why why wouldn't the commission just like break up the monopoly model entirely? For example, you know, I've got solar on my rooftop, lots of people do, and something like one in four or even one in three Hawaii residents has already done that as well. Great question. And I think that's the direction that maybe some states tried to head toward maybe in the 90s with deregulation and divesting generation from the traditionally vertically integrated utility because the thought was that generation is more of a competitive market. And so we get the right answers through the invisible hand in that arena. 
such conversations have come up over the years in Hawaii, but it is just a huge lift as far as sort of regulatory change and just working through all the utility resistance and inertia around that. And we even had a study post Nextera. You, you mentioned Nextera for folks don't, that don't know, you can Google it, but essentially once this conversation about reforming the utility came about, Nextera smelled an opportunity and crashed the party and tried to basically take over our, our, our entire utility system here. That was ultimately rejected as, as not the direction we wanted to go. Not, you know, we didn't want more top-down sort of models. And so after that, there was a study that was commissioned by the legislature for two million bucks about what's the best model going forward? How, how do we change the system? And they considered co-ops, they considered munis, they considered divestiture and all that. And I think that the answer that came out of that, not to say that it was the end all, but certainly the, the commission, I think, had independently come to a similar conclusion that working with what we got in terms of vertically integrated, privately owned utility, but aligning or realigning the incentives was the, the best way to get the most bang for the buck in the nearer term. So let's dive into that. You know, since the utility is not going to make money for just spending it anymore, what are they going to get paid to do? They're going to get paid to be more efficient. They're going to get paid to deliver service and performance along the lines of what the customers want and in line with interest mandates like our 100% clean energy mandate, our RPS. And, you know, we can get into the, the nuts and bolts, but you know, traditionally utilities come in for rate cases every so often and increase their rates. And, and it's, driven again by increased investments on which the utilities tack on a rate of return. And that's the engine that ever points upwards as far as increasing the utilities revenues and customers rates. <clears throat> so it, instead of that sort of engine, the fundamental beginning, the, the foundation for performance-based regulation, I think sort of in principle in general, as well as how Hawaii implemented is what we call a revenue cap or revenue index in short. And basically instead of ever increasing rates through ever increasing rate cases, and mind you, these rates always go one way, one direction. No utility has ever come in for a rate case to decrease rates, right? Instead of that, a treadmill, we're just gonna cap utility revenues and keep it there for a long period of time. In this case, in Hawaii's case, five years, we push for more, eight years, but it's gonna be five years for starters. And then the utility is turned loose to basically find any kind of efficiencies, cost savings, so that anything, any savings underneath that cap or that index, which is externally calculated driven, will go straight into the utility's pocket. And that is, is said to mimic a competitive environment. And as close, I guess, as monopoly utility regulation is going to get, where the utility is basically left to its creative competitive juices to, to basically maximize its profits and, and increase efficiencies across the board. So that's key. And, and, and how does that work in terms of you know, creating customer value? Well, well, whereas traditionally the utility would automatically reach for that centralized fossil fuel plant as a way to boost its profits and its revenues. Now it will consider, hopefully on a more level playing field, distributed energy resources, non-wire alternatives, 
alternatives basically to traditional utility infrastructure investments as a way to get the job done to reach our clean energy goals without spending utility and ultimately ratepayer money. And so again, leveling the playing field between all options, delinking from that traditional cost plus engine of just more utility stuff is the fundamental premise and starting point for performance regulation. And then on top of that, once we have an idea of, okay, there's certain areas where we want better targeted utility performance, whether it's faster interconnection, whether it's greater customer satisfaction, whether it's more sort of attention to low and moderate income needs, then you can establish what they call performance incentive mechanisms or PIMS for short to drive utility performance in those targeted areas. But I want to emphasize that unlike I think some people when they think about PBR, they automatically think about PIMS, the performance incentive side. What we really need to focus first is that foundation of breaking the link between cost of service and, and utility revenues first. And that's what Hawaii did for sure as a foundation, like I said. You know, it's funny when you were first describing this about how you sort of you would set a revenue cap for the utility and you say, go out and innovate and change. Exactly. My, gut, my gut reaction to it was, this sounds like Wall Street where they're like, hey, efficiency means we're going to screw the unions, we're going to cut back on maintenance. And I'm looking at like PG&E in California and thinking, ooh, cutting back maintenance is not great. So I assume that some of those things have already been addressed, that you've already thought about, oh, what are the things the utility could potentially cut back that we don't want them to do, as well as the areas in which we want them to innovate? Yeah, right on target on, on that. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why you also want the affirmative incentives in the form of PIMS. Mind you, PBR is not a totally new concept. You know, the general framework and idea has been around for decades. And the first wave of PBR was explored and implemented in a lot of areas in the 90s, really. And it's been going on for decades, for example, in the United Kingdom. And what they did in that, I would say, first generation or first wave of PBR is directly to your point about, hey, we don't want the utility just cutting corners and, and screwing up in, in some key fundamental areas. So what the regulators did was establish PIMS of a backstop nature. So these backstop PIMS would make sure that reliability was maintained, that call service quality didn't decline because the utility neglected those areas. And so, yes, I, I think in order to make sure that the utility simply doesn't cut corners just for cost savings sake, then you have to pay attention to those targeted areas and make sure that PIMS are in place. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we discuss who benefits from this new performance-based system and whether it has considerations for equity, how it might change the nature of the electric grid, and whether or not other states should join the club of a better utility business model. You're listening to a Local Energy Rules interview with Isaac Morawaki, Managing Attorney of the Earth Justice Mid-Pacific Office, about the new performance-based profit system for Hawaii's monopoly utility. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. 
Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. So what impact do you think this will have on customers and what impact on shareholders? The, the grand vision of all of this is the win-win-win, right? Because of that revenue cap or index, utility revenues and ultimately customer rates aren't going to be escalating like they do traditionally. Now, on top of that, there is a customer dividend or consumer dividend that is tacked on to that cap to create even additional day one savings right out, right, right at the beginning. But realize you know, the savings come over time as the utilities become more efficient and realize those efficiencies. So that's the win on the customer side, lower rates, right? And, and, and if you read the Hawaii PEC's order, that was their number one focus, focus and priority. It's really clear, just, it's just jumping off the page. And then the other wins are, we're gonna get clean energy faster and, and cheaper because the utility is already subject to a mandate, but because when left to the most efficient choices and you know, the profit motive of how can we do this uh, deliver performance most cheaply, clean energy is the answer, right? At least the theory and principle is that we're going to get clean energy faster. And then the utility gets to win because, again, they get to keep the profits. I mean, there's earning sharing mechanisms as, as backstops to make sure that the utility somehow doesn't find loads of profits or savings opportunities that no one was aware of, which might well happen. I mean, you know, we've seen it in other cases when, when these types of regimes have been instituted and then end up tricking everybody or whatever. So, so there's guardrails here, but I think by and large, the PC has given the, the utility a wide runway to go forth and do good as far as profit profiting while delivering performance. What do you see as maybe changing how the electric grid looks like? And you kind of talked about this earlier a little bit. You alluded to it when you talked about how the historical model encouraged utility to spend its money on infrastructure to get a payback and that it meant that the utility often defaulted toward looking towards some centralized power plant as the way that they address a grid need. What do you anticipate might change if the utility is following this new performance-based path toward revenue and, and following the structure of the incentives? So again, in theory and in principle, and we, you know, we can talk about this in terms of okay, what are the flags for the future? Because we do our best we, best we can. And this is a bold step forward by Hawaii, certainly leading the nation in this new PBR paradigm. But the theory and principle and how we're driving forward on this is that all options would be on the table, right? And, and ideally a level playing field between utility-centric solutions, uh, such as a, central, a, new, a new centralized clean energy power plant, hopefully, or bottom-up solutions that are customer-centric, such as distributed energy resources, energy efficiency, demand response, 
distributed storage, you know, what have you. And so again, because the utility is capped out on its revenues over a long time, it's going to be looking for long-term solutions, the greatest efficiencies, not only on the short term, but over the longer term of how it can get the job done cheaper. And where instead of building a new big honking transmission upgrade or a substation or a centralized power plant, you can get the same job done through distributed energy resources, through virtual power plants, using all the distributed solar, the rooftop solar that's already installed. And someone has, has likened that to a Porsche sitting in people's garages or I guess on, on, the, on their roofs in this case. Uh, if you can get the job done utilizing those underutilized resources right now, then do it and save money and pocket the profits while you do it. That's the theory and principle anyway. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of all of these. We hear about a lot of these sort of specific approaches. So there's things like demand response, right? There's the notion that I utility might offer me an incentive to turn down my air conditioner on a hot day, or as Texas is experiencing right now, turn down your heat on a cold day to provide more electricity, that they'd want me to invest in energy efficiency. And the more of us that do that collectively, the less they have to spend to provide new energy. But instead, what I'm hearing you say is that all of these sort of individual programs that are kind of tacked on like a sidecar on a motorcycle in other states become the core focus of the utility to kind of put them all together to say, hey, if we can put together a portfolio of all of this stuff that's cheaper than a power plant, well, we get to win when that happens. Whereas now I feel like there's this tension where utility says, oh, well, we can do all of that stuff and it's better for customers, but it's not better for shareholders. Right. Well, and I think you're touching on the fundamental idea behind PBR and you refer to innovation. And that really is at the heart of this idea, right? The utility is in the best position to figure out what creative solutions are going to get the job done as cheaply and effectively as possible. If sort of a, a third-party regulator has to come in and on a nickel and dime a la carte basis say, try this program or that program, we're going to be here decades later just doing the same thing. And, and I think mm -hmm. the last decade in Hawaii proved that. And so instead, again, you lead the horse to the water anyway, you give them this runway to innovate and the utility ideally undergoes a, a culture change in, in terms of like any competitive company in a competitive environment would, would do. Let's figure out like the best way to you know, get this done on an enterprise level, not a program by program basis. Mm-hmm. I don't want to dive into this too much, but I'm just really fascinated to see the way that this may or may not engage culture change. I keep thinking about like Green Mountain Power, which is the only investor-owned utility that's also a registered B Corporation. Right. So it has this triple bottom line, people and planet and the company. And it's so funny because it's not really driven by the regulators there. It was the case of kind of a dynamic CEO coming in and saying, hey, we can do this differently. And they made it work even within the cost of service regulatory framework, although they've certainly found some innovative approaches to it. And it's I love the idea that you're able to impose regulation here that is bringing folks to this question of, can we create culture change by fundamentally changing the incentive for the utility? Well, I likened it to 
leading the horse to the water. And, and it ultimately comes down to utility leadership, right? And, and vision. So are we just gonna get a penny pinching version of the old cost plus utility? Like and you, you kind of described that before in some of your questions, or are we really gonna get some fundamental culture change? Stay tuned. <laughs> but I will say in Hawaii that most of the credit as far as this transformation has to go to our public utility commission who saw the need for change and, and clearly set forth an agenda, brought about this process where we're gonna tackle this issue of establishing PBR and got it done. One of the questions I definitely wanted to ask you is to back onto this question of incentives. Are there any incentives addressing equity? For example, are there rewards for lowering energy burdens for low-income residents, for example, or making investments that reduce pollution in particular historically burdened communities? Helping low to moderate income communities was one of the outcomes or goals that the PUC identified for Hawaii PBR. And in its final order, you know, issued in December, the, the, the PUC did adopt one of, I'd say five around there, uh, PIMS or performance incentives, specifically addressing energy efficiency opportunities for LMI customers. And so the answer is yes. And there's going to be a PIM that tracks overall energy savings for LMI customers and rewards the utility based on how much progress is gained on that front. Now in Hawaii, we're like Vermont and some other jurisdictions where we've spun off energy efficiency to a third party administrator. And so why are we paying the utility for LMI energy efficiency gains? Well, the, the thinking on the PC's part was that this is an all hands effort and a, a shared goal. And the utility certainly has a part to play in terms of cooperating with the energy efficiency administrator. Uh, they're called Hawaii Energy and, and not getting in their way, you know, communicating, uh, playing team ball. And, and so this PIM was specifically designed by the, the commission to encourage that and boost that outcome. Isaac, you know, folks have often called Hawaii a postcard from the future. I think I first heard that term from Adam Browning at Vote Solar. When it comes to clean energy policy, is there any reason that other states shouldn't sort of stampede to follow Hawaii into this? What, what do you think would hold them back? I think it makes a ton of sense. And look, we, we got 10 years to turn this around, right? And so other states don't have 10 years like Hawaii did to implement this reform. I, I got to say that in Hawaii, we even had feedback from Wall Street. We had consultants from Moody's, Credit Suisse come in and, and participate in some of our workshops. And they were clear that cost of service pulls utility down the wrong path. It's outdated. And PBR is credit positive for utilities because of that win-win-win opportunity. And so they were very, very enthusiastic about the direction Hawaii was going. The reports after the final decision in this case seem to be positive as well. They recognize that the performance risk is going to be on the utility. It's time for the utility to be firmly in the driver's seat and deliver that performance. And so obviously there's risk behind that. And guess what? That's the whole purpose, right? But because of the opportunities on the upside, if the utility does transform, 
Wall Street sees the positive. So on the downside, in terms of just maintaining our, our outdated status quo, wedded to uh, the old cost plus model, if the utilities don't see it now, they're going to see it very quickly that that's leading them down or ha has been leading them down the wrong path. Two words, stranded assets. If the utility keeps on going down this treadmill of just building, building more stuff, and then there's carbon regulation that comes around, it, it, the DER you know, goes through the roof, so to speak, like it's going to happen, as the literature shows it will, as, as, as your you know, uh, work shows it will, then it's a real big problem. And it's, it's probably already a problem and the utilities don't even recognize it. It's like sort of frog in the pot. So yeah, I mean, People talk about risk, but then it's really like compared to what, right? I mean, it's far less risky to be innovative and transformative and going towards this PBR direction rather than stay with the unsustainable bankrupt status quo. I just want to write that down verbatim because I think that was excellent. Hold on just a second. Great. Isaac, where can folks go to learn more about this new performance-based regulation in Hawaii that shifts investor-owned utilities to get rewarded for performance instead of just spending customer money? I think the, the best resource right now would be the PUC's website on its PBR docket. And I think they even have a, a page on their final decision. And it includes the decision itself, which is 260 plus pages. So I wouldn't recommend that for everybody, but it also includes press materials and I think a couple page synopsis. And so, you know, that, that's a good start. And then I think, you know, more and more industries or analysis, literature, commentary is going to be coming out, sort of digesting what happened. And so I would keep an eye out for that as well. There was a good utility dive article that came out a little while ago, summarizing the initial take on, on what happened with the final decision. And I think there's also Green Tech Media that's going to be covering it. And, and maybe, uh, John, you can do your own coverage uh, and analysis of it. What do you think this podcast is for, Isaac? Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I should have let off with listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's definitely just a starting point, but I think it's really helpful to have your assessment of and your explanation of how this works and kind of what the important pieces were behind it. Because I think it's easy to be skeptical from the advocacy side about, you know, are we just being played by the utilities or by Wall Street. It's easy to be skeptical from the other side. I mean, it's great to hear that folks on Wall Street actually see this as a good alignment of risk and reward, because that's what a capitalist should be saying, really, when you talk about performance-based uh, regulations. So I just think this is a great way for people to understand how this really can be a win-win and, and, and result in outcomes that we're all trying to get to. Exactly. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for joining me for Local Energy Rules. We'll uh, have links to all the stuff we talked about in the show Thanks notes. Thanks a lot. Great, great yeah. chatting with you. Thanks for uh, yeah, you all too. the work you do. Well, and I hope you get to, uh, get back to making some music soon because uh, it was fun to listen to that as uh, in preparation for this podcast. Fingers crossed. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Local Energy Rules with Managing Attorney of the Earth Justice Mid-Pacific Office, Isaac Morawaki, where we discuss how customers and shareholders can benefit from a new profit model for regulated monopoly utilities. On the show page, look for links to the Hawaii Commission's order and to summaries by several news outlets. 
on ILSR's website, you can also find more discussion of the perverse incentives in the standard cost plus regulatory model for electric utilities and how they can be changed, as well as alternative options like community choice energy that lets communities instead of utilities choose their energy future. Local Energy Rules is produced by myself and Maria McCoy with editing provided by audio engineer Drew Birschbach. Tune back into Local Energy Rules every two weeks to hear more powerful stories of communities taking on concentrated power to transform the energy system. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.